one and all, welcome to a very dark, macabre episode of Nick's Nonfiction. Here with your host, Nick Munez. Today on the show, we have got Mary Roach's Stiff. The thug shaker make me stiff. I'm thinking about starting bodybuilding. First, I gotta find out where the hospital hides the cadavers. In this fascinating, ennobling account, Mary Roach visits the good deeds of cadavers over the centuries, from the anatomy labs and human source pharmacies of medieval and 19th century Europe, to a human decay research facility in Tennessee, to a plastic surgery practice, to a Scandinavian funeral director's conference on human composting. Roach tells the engrossing story of our bodies when we are no longer with them. Cadavers, I think they do more for humanity than people. <laughs> lazy motherfuckers they were used to test french guillotines nasa used cadavers to shoot rockets up before they shot up actors i mean people cadavers have been used by the mystery flight of tw800 i think if you donate your body to science you shouldn't have to do anything now liver donors all expenses paid drink package for every surgical procedural development from heart transplants to gender reassignment surgery, cadavers have been there alongside the surgeons, making history in their own quiet, stunned way. For 2,000 years, cadavers have somewhat willingly, somewhat unwillingly, have been involved in science's boldest strides and weirdest undertakings. Bro, anybody who's anybody in history dug up dead bodies. Thomas Edison, Nazi scientist, my boy Da Vinci, couldn't get enough of the cold blood. You might think this one is disrespecting the dead. Mary Roach, she's just warming up. Being dead is absurd. It's the silliest situation you'll ever be in. It's stinky, embarrassing, and there's not a damn thing to be done about it. A book about dead bodies is a conversational curveball. It's all well and good to write about an article of corpses, but a full-sized book plants a red flag on your character. I've got plenty of red flags. I'm China out here with the red flag. You shouldn't be stigmatized for just talking about something, okay? I went real dark last year. We talked about torture. That shit warped my brain for an hour. This was a hard book to read. You're, this is a free book. I was gonna say you're getting your money's worth. Fuck you. Just kidding, I love you guys. Why was Donkey Kong corpses smelly? It was beginning to decay. <laughs> Two cannibals are devouring Amy Schumer. One asks, does this taste funny to you? The other cannibal says, no, not at all. <laughs> Why was the body late for the funeral? It had to rehearse on the way. <laughs> Yo, we'll be right back. About the author, Mary Roach. Harry shit on Instagram, patreon.com slash niche. Mary was born March 20th, 1959. She is an American author specializing in popular science and humor. She has published six New York Times bestsellers. A little bit sussy. Her others include Spook Science, Tackling the Afterlife, Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex, Packing for Mars, The Curious Science of Life in the Void. It wasn't until she dropped Stiff that she started getting some publicity. Six bestsellers, the last one was Grunt, The Curious Science of Humans at War. Did you hear about the chickpea who died saving his friend in war? He received a posthumous medal. <coughs> what did the magician say after accidentally cutting his assistant in half? Abra, cadaver. I really hope death is a woman. 
That way she never comes for me. What do you call a morgue that doubles as a porn set? A cream-atorium. Be right back with the show. Chapter 1, Stiff by Mary Roach. A head is a terrible thing to waste. The human head is of the same approximate size and weight as a roasted chicken. Yum! I have never before had an occasion to make the comparison, for never before today have seen a head in a roasting pan. But there are 40 of them, one per pan resting face up on what looks to be a small pet food bowl. The heads are for plastic surgeons, two per head to practice on. I'm observing a facial anatomy and facelift rehearse course, sponsored by the Southern University Medical Center, led by half a dozen of America's most sought-after facelifters. Don't you hate how the author just did a full paragraph switcheroo? Because a YouTube attention span is five seconds long. She's at a plastic surgeon thing, and there's 40 human heads laid out on tables. They're kept in roasting pans? Is this like a real-life haunted house? Even surgery upon the dead is a tidy, orderly affair. 40 folding utility tables have been draped in lavender plastic cloths and a roasting pan in the center of each. Skin hooks and retractors are set out with the pleasing precision of restaurant cutlery. The whole thing has the look of catered reception. I mentioned to the young woman whose job it was to set up the seminar this morning that the lavender gives the room a cherry sort of Easter party feeling. Damn. Was she trying to make a resurrection joke there, Easter? Moving on, the 40 heads are from people who have died in the past few days, and such still took very much the way they looked when they were alive. They've been draped with white cloths pending the arrival of the surgeons. These heads appear to be lopped off just below the chin, as though the cadaver had been wearing a turtleneck and the decapitator hadn't wished to damage the fabric. I find myself wondering whose handiwork this is. The modern executioner? Luckily, Mary finds out. There's some lady in the next room named Yvonne. Holy crap! Yvonne, the bringer of doom. She goes, my coping mechanism is I pretend that the bodies are made out of wax. That way they're easier to saw through. (laughs) She said she got her physician degree in a thing called the gross lab. So like they literally desensitize you, throw pig intestines at you. One of my takes for the day. None of this is natural. Just bury the body. What are we doing here? <laughs> They're pl- practicing plastic surgery? Here's an idea. Don't put silicon inside of your face. I don't really care what people do. I'm just saying. I've like heard people who moderate websites for gore, and this is the most mentally ill-inducing, depressing thing you could do. I don't know. I want to have a Nepalese sky funeral. Have the ravens come down and eat me. The problem with cadavers is that they look so much like people. It's the reason most of us prefer a pork chop to a slice of a whole suckling pig. It's the reason we say pork and beef instead of pig and cow. What are you, fucking George Carlin over here? Instead of calling people fat, we call them weight-challenged. Soft language. She's fucking doing Carlin bits. This all being said, I've dissected a cat before. It was in an anatomy class. <laughs> I had to. It was like an elective. Other kids were baking stuff, and I chose to do this bullshit. You'll never forget it, and you do get desensitized really quick. I love cats, but you are no longer looking at your furry friend. This is an object of science. You'll never forget it. The guts. Whew. 
They stank, boy. Every day we would find a different muscle group. Bro, the human body is like a mummy, but instead of toilet paper, it's muscles. And the muscles go up and across and diagonal, and you just keep peeling them away. Pretty freaking creepy. And then every day at the end of it, you would have to put the cat back into a giant thing of formaldehyde. So the next day, it was always a debate. Who gets to take the cat out of the bag? <laughs> it's pretty educational, I'm not going to lie. The doctors wait outside the room as Avon hits the head with a saline pump. The surgeons are already at work, leaning kiss-close over their specimens and glancing up at a video monitor mounted above each workstation. I walk up and down the rows. The heads look like rubber Halloween masks. They look like human heads, but my brain has no precedent for human heads on tables. Mary talks to a couple of the surgeons. You only got to pay $500 to do this course. <laughs> Instead of a vacation, I'm going to go dissect the head this year. So who's making the money here? You would think insurance should probably cover training doctors. <laughs> going to learn today. There's a whole business of death. This is why I'm not a, an organ donor. You're selfish. Your body is up for grabs like a slave auction the second you die. You need to start reading into this. Call me selfish? I don't give a fuck. I'm trying to remain in peace. Rest in peace? No, dissect me. <laughs> Feed me to the buzzards and call it a day. People are botching nose jobs and lip jobs on the cadavers. Mary's like, good thing they have practice. Though it is hard to justify the use of a cadaver for practicing nose jobs, it is for practicing coronary bypasses more justifiable nonetheless. So I'm saying cosmetic surgeries. Is this important? <laughs> it's all a business. So I'm saying watch if you're donating your corpse, dude. Quote, While the early facelifts merely pulled the skin up and stitch it tighten into place, the modern facelift is four individual anatolical layers anatolical this means all of the layers must be identified surgically replaced for their neighbors individually repositioned and sewn into place jesus this is probably why madonna looks like a fucking gray alien <laughs> bruno mars <laughs> he looks like squidward when he got hit in the face with the door dude i could say there's a middle ground you see some people that look hot with a touch of plastic surgery but what the fuck are they doing when we dissected the cat's our teacher told us to not even go near the heads because your face has so many micro muscles. If you have like a plastic surgeon who didn't get enough sleep the night before, you might never be able to smile again. Or worse, you're stuck smiling forever. Get that Dane Cook look. <laughs> when I asked Yvonne why one of the dead women had no pupils, she did not answer, but reached up and closed the eyelids. And she slides back in her chair. She looks down at the form and says, may she rest in peace. I hear it as pieces, but that's just me. Chapter 2, Crimes of Anatomy. So what, do you guys want your final resting place to be your head in a roasting pan? Donate your body! <laughs> Pass. Like, you barely have a say over your body when you're alive. You think they're going to respect your body when you're dead? <laughs> Medical schools have gone out of their way in the past decade to foster a respectable attitude towards gross anatomy lab cadavers. UCFS is one of many medical schools that holds memorial services for willied bodies. Some invite the cadaver families to attend. Oh my god, this is so dark, bro. 
your family comes to have a second funeral. Many of the students gave their cadavers names. Not like beef jerky, real names, said one student. He introduced me to Ben, the cadaver who, despite having by then reduced to a head, lungs, arms, retained an air of dignity. Oh my god. <laughs> so Ben is just a lump of lungs now. <laughs> to understand the cautious respect for the dead that pervades the modern anatomy lab, it helps to understand the extreme lack of the field of history. It's basically a history chapter moving forward. Few sciences are rooted in shame, infamy, and bad PR as human anatomy. I'd say it's well-deserved. It started in Egypt, 3000 BC, she says. King Platomene. He was the first leader to deem it A-OK for medical types to cut open the dead for the purpose of figuring out how bodies work. And part of this had to do with Egypt's long tradition of mummification. Bodies are cut open and organs are removed during the mummification process. So these were things the government and the populace were comfortable with. That's what Mary said. And how do you fucking know? Did they poll the Jewish slaves? I guess the people were okay with it. And you know, motherfuckers in Sumer have been dissecting bodies since negative two million. The tradition of using executive criminals for dissection persisted and hit the stride in 18th and 19th century Britain. Yeah, that's when we really got into it. When private anatomy schools for medical students began to flourish in the cities of England and Scotland. While the numbers of schools grew, the number of cadavers stayed roughly the same. And the anatomists faced a chronic shortage of material. People started robbing graves to sell bodies to the school. And then Parliament had to pass a law. The Anatomy Act of 1836 states the only cadaver legally available for dissection in Britain were those of executed murderers. So America started adopting this law and the schools as well. But they actually put a twist on it. People who lose in a duel can also be dissected. <laughs> Dueling? That's got to be the most American pastime. This country is founded upon being able to kill someone who cuts you off in traffic. Duels? I need to read a fucking book on that. <laughs> She's jumping around. The modern-day Taliban has a grave robbing problem. So, you know, it's the same thing as they were dealing with in 1800. In January 2002, New York Times reporter Narizzo Unishi interviewed a student at Kandahar Medical College who had made the anguishing decision to dig up the bones of his beloved grandmother and share them with his classmates. I get show-and-tell grandma's bones. <laughs> you know I'm triggered. She just said Kandahar. And they've found some pretty large bones over there. Just saying. By 1838, the demands of London's anatomy school were such that 10 full-time body snatchers and 200 or so part-time were kept busy throughout the dissecting season. <laughs> this would be my job. Another one. All you need is a shovel from the hardware store and zero dignity. A thousand dollars a body? It's a good living. <laughs> or, or, you could knock out hobos and harvest their kidneys and get a thousand dollars a pop. <laughs> know what I'm saying? So I started making my own observations here. 1818, my girl Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. And within the next 20 years, she's talking about in this book, there was a surplus then of illegal bodies. So then now we have too many bodies 
you get the crackpots buying bodies for cheap, and they start trying to resurrect people. So like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, that was nonfiction for a little bit. There were a bunch of crazy dudes in their basement trying to create a divine spark with lightning. <laughs> so how did these fucking fancy anatomists get rid of all the unwanted body parts? The ears, the kneecaps, the armpits? Mary says, to avoid the problematic odors that tend to accompany a shallow burial, anatomists came up with some creative solutions to the flesh disposal problem. A persistent rumor that had been in cahoots with the keepers of London's wild animal menageries. Oh! So they're feeding them to the zoo. Others were said to keep vultures on hand for the task. <laughs> Bro, you just said, oh, the menagerie. You're getting fed to zoo animals. The sparrows of the day were well up to the task. So that chick, Yvette, who saws off people's heads, like 50 years ago, those people were willing to feed you to a lion. And when things get a little worse, <laughs> I think your cousins are just going to start eating each other. When Burke and Hare found out how much money could be made selling corpses, they set about creating some of their own. So they just start killing people to get money. Several weeks later, a down-and-out alcoholic took ill with a fever while staying at Hare's Flophouse. <laughs> Jesus Christ, so you've seen the movie Hostel? You invite lowlifes and kill them and sell them to the black market. Figuring the man to be well on his way to caverdom anyway, the men decided to speed things along. Hare pressed a pillow to the man's face while Burke laid his considerable body weight on top of him. <laughs> In this story, they didn't even smother the guy enough. A Los Angeles Times account of the case had Rafael Hernandez awakening in a vat of formaldehyde alongside 30 corpses. Bro, if you ever live in L.A., some of the old warehouses you drive by scream body farm. Hey, we harvest organs here. It should say on the outside. <laughs> I think China has it figured out. They got us one up here. You just use your prisoners. The Yugiers are an organ farm. Like, the U.S. has the biggest prison population. We should let the students practice on live bodies, right? <laughs> A couple more quotes. According to the Book of Early History of Human Anatomy, Hippocrates referred to tendons as nerves and believed them to be part of the human brain and mucus-secreting gland. Though I found this information surprising, this being the father of medicine we're talking about, I did not question it. You did not question an author who appears on the title page. What? <laughs> that goes against everything that's nonfiction. Yeah, Hippocrates' early medicine, even he was chopping pods. Vesalius produced a series of richly detailed anatomical plates and texts called De Humane Corpus Fabrica the most ventured anatomy book in history. The question then becomes, was it necessary once the likes of Vesalius had pretty much figured out the basics for every student of anatomy to get in there and figure it out all over again? So Mary's finally questioning the author. We already know. <laughs> you have to do it. Practice, practice, practice. Indeed, the gross anatomy course I visited at UCSF was the last one in which students will dissect entire cadavers. It's illegal for students to get entire bodies, so now you can purchase heads for as low as four ninety nine ninety nine. <laughs> Chapter three, life and death. This one takes us to University of Tennessee Medical Center, the only school approved to let dead bodies decay 
out in the sun. <laughs> so the only reason they have this permit is to teach forensic investigators how long has this body been outside. Quote, if a body has been dead longer than three days, investigators turn to entomological clues. How old are the fly larvae? the stages of decay for their answers. And decay is highly dependent on environmental and situational factors. What's the weather been like? Was the body buried? In what? Shallow graves encased in concrete, left in car trunks, wrapped in plastic bags. Pretty much anything a killer might do to dispose of a dead body, the researchers at UT have also done so. Everything. The students have done everything. Wood chippers. Hot dog factories. Did they get an evil villain with a pet shark to eat the body? <laughs> everything <laughs> this is pretty savage you know those guys who like go diving on youtube it's a whole subculture sometimes they find guns underwater and they go try to turn it in and find a murderer one of these dudes are gonna find a body <laughs> their fucking channel gets striked i don't know so they set out like 30 dead bodies for these students to go look at them one morning imagine a hiker comes across it <laughs> sees 30 bodies light out See the skin of the fingertips here, says Arpod. Two of the dead man's fingers are sheathed with what looks like a rubber fin of some sort by accounts and clerks. The liquids from the cells get between the layers of skin and loosen them. As that progresses, you see skin slouchage. Jeez, man, it's like liquefaction of your skin. Ew. <laughs> Something else is going on. Squirming grains of rice are crowded into the man's belly button. It's a rice grain mosh pit, but rice grains do not move. These cannot be grains of rice. They are not. They are young flies. The flies lay their eggs on the body's points of entry. Eyes, mouth, open wounds. Genitalia. The enzymes in our stomachs break meat down into proteins. The bacteria in our gut break those proteins down into amino acids. They take up where we have left off. When we die, they stop feeding on what we have eaten and begin to feed on us. Your stomach is like your pet cat. It's going to eat you when you die. She was saying that bacterial waste is usually dispelled in the form of gas. You heard it here for it. Farting saves lives. With some prodding and a little bit of bad air, does in fact slip out. And so as a matter of record, it can be said that dead people fart. Hmm, yes, dead people fart. Yeah, more importantly in that quote, though, she said that coroners are playing around with your butthole. They're poking and prodding at your anus. You could put the Kinnison bit in here. You mean even after I die, life keeps fucking me in the ass? Oh! <laughs> I read this one recently. In African countries, they have to lock up coffins to prevent necrophilia. That's having sex with corpses. You think there's homophobic necrophiliacs? Like they dig up a body and they go, Ew! This dead body is a guy. No way I'm having sex with this dead person. <laughs> I don't know. Think about how bad the zombie apocalypse is going to be. Now that we know dead people can fart. Coffins are nothing more than subterranean Dutch ovens. Yes, yes. Bloat continues until something gives way. Usually it is the intestines. Every now and then it is the torso itself. Arpad has seen it, but he has heard it twice. 
a rending, a ripping noise. Yo, we're just like those videos of dead whales on the beach. They blow up <laughs> until they pop. It's got a smell. Mussels are eaten not only by bacteria, but by carnivorous beetles. I wasn't aware that meat-eating beetles existed, but there you go. Sometimes the skin gets eaten, sometimes not. Sometimes, depending on the weather, it dries out and mummifies. Being mummified might be sick. <laughs> and that was a big Egypt thing, the scarab. I don't know. I would sell my mummy meat in the future to fans. Get your Nick Muniz meat now. Chapter 4. Dead Man Driving. We got six chapters today. By and large, the dead aren't very talented. They can't play water polo, lace up their boots, or maximize market share. They can't tell a joke. They can't dance for beans. There is one thing dead people excel at. They're very good at handling pain. For instance, UM006 is a cadaver who recently journeyed across Detroit from University of Michigan to the bioengineering building at the Wayne State University. His job, which will undertake at approximately 7 p.m. tonight, is to be hit in the shoulder with a linear impactor. His collarbone and scapula may break, but he will not feel a thing, nor will the injuries interfere with his day-to-day -day activities. <laughs> so that's what you do when you're dead and you donate your body. They line up a Mike Tyson punch-out machine. You get your bones broken. The most interesting thing I found out about this chapter, we'll keep it short. For the past 60 years, car companies have been using dead people. Like, you know how you feel creeped out when you see those crash test dummy commercials? It's because it's a lie. In reality, they're using actual humans. It's pretty creepy. You are perhaps wondering, as I did, why they don't use crash test dummies. This is the other side of the equation. A dummy can't tell you how much force a crash is unleashing on a various part. I thought that's exactly what it's for. <laughs> you first need to know uh, what will compromise soft tissue. Yeah. Of course it's more accurate, but on every YouTube channel with guns, they have those gel torsos now. I think you could stop using real people. They said it was used for spaced space filler. Again, some people use fucking packing peanuts for space filler. My name is Walter Hartwell White. I don't know, 1930s, they had a big switch to tempered glass and windshields. And so you're not going through the windshield anymore. Despite forgiving windshields, knobs, padded dashboards, brain damage is still the major culprit in car crash fatalities. Very often the bang to the head isn't all that severe. It's the combination of banging it into something and whipping it in one direction and then rapidly at high speeds. Like getting hit can give you brain damage and it doesn't even knock you out. Whiplash doesn't give you brain damage but it puts you unconscious. To establish the tolerance limits of the human face, cadavers have been seated with their cheekbones in the firing lines of rotary strikers. They've had their lower legs broken by simulated bumpers and their upper legs shattered by smashed-in dashboards. It's not pretty, but it's most certainly justifiable, <laughs> in your opinion. Because of changes that have come about in the results of cadaver studies, it's now possible to survive a head-on crash into a wall at 60 miles per hour. As for that guy, UM006... The family of UN006 doesn't know what happened to him this evening. They know only that he donated his remains for use in medical education. <laughs> there are many reasons for this. At the time a person of his family decides to donate his remains, no one knows what those remains will be used for, or even at which university. 
The body goes to a morgue facility at which the university was donated and then shipped to the university. So, hey, donate your body to science, and you could be at the University of Tennessee decaying under the sun. Why aren't morgues round? Because there's no coroners. <laughs> Chapter 5. How to know if you're dead. H is unique in that she is both a dead person and a patient on the way to surgery. She is what's known as a beating heart cadaver, alive and well everywhere but her brain. H doesn't look or smell or feel dead. If you look leaned in close over the gurney, you could see her pulse beating. This person's alive. If you touched her arm, you would find it warm and resilient like your own. This is perhaps why the nurses and doctors refer to H as a patient. Well, so why are we saying they're dead? Like I've been getting into post-death study research, hence this book. Some researchers call it the breath of death. Even like two to three months after your body dies, you take a huge gasp. And there's a non-zero percentage that you come back to life. The breath of death. Like there was a case where a coffin needed to be dug back up because the town was making the graveyard into a park. When they dug up one of the coffins, there was a guy banging on the inside of it. Fuck that. (laughs) Getting put in a box. So, like, if you're just buried in dirt, your body's going to start decomposing immediately. But if you're put in a box, your body might think you're still alive. Yo, that's the scariest shit ever. You ever see that movie, fucking Ryan Gosling or whatever? He's trapped in a box. Reality. So this H patient, I would say they're in a coma, but if your brain is dead, you're clinically dead, even though everything about this person is alive. And I've read enough stories about people in comas living other lives and shit. I don't think they should just be chopping you up because you're in a coma. (laughs) I don't know. I've read about once in Native America, they would make little towns for the dead and they would come back. And some of the bodies were missing. Like the people just woke up and then left the dead town. How fucking wild is that? Cities of the dead. Since brain death is the legal definition of death in this country, the person is certifiably dead, but H's bodies and organs are very much alive. So I'm saying this is just Western medicine. We identify with the brain. I write about this a lot in my book. (laughs) The brain ain't where you are, bro. Okay? I'm not going into it today. But Western medicine is fucked up. So we should become like China. Just harvest the organs from the live prisoners. Let's go. I'm moving to China, baby. Oh, man. What if we come up with, like, a cure for comas in five years and we killed all those people? Because they're technically dead. Whatever. Over the next four hours, H will surrender her liver, kidney, and heart. One at a time, surgeons will come and go, taking an organ, returning it in haste to the stricken patients. Until recently, the process was known among transplant professionals as organ harvesting. It has been replaced by a more business-like organ recovery. The person's heart is still beating. Their liver is still processing toxin. And we still take them into an operating room to harvest or recover their organs. In H's case, one surgeon will be traveling from Utah to recover her heart, and another, the one recovering both the liver and the kidneys, will be taking them two floors down. 
Jeez. So someone two floors down comes in with like a drinking problem, a blown out liver. And I'm upstairs in a coma because someone hit me with their car in a hit and run. So they take my liver and give it to some other asshole. <laughs> you ever hear those stories of people who donate a liver? And then their liver hurts when the alcoholic drinks? On the inside, H looks very much alive. The pulse of the heartbeat, you've already said that. She bleeds when she is cut. Her organs are all slippery looking. The electronic beat of the heart monitor reinforces the impression that this being is still living, breathing, thriving person. It is strange, almost impossible really, to think of her as a corpse. It's what we do in America. We believe the unbelievable. In the days preceding the harvest, not only think of patients like H as being alive, but treated and cares as such. The cadavers must be monitored around the truck with life-saving inventions all around the truck. What if you, like, put the defibrillator on overdrive and hit someone with it? Or just rub it and then put it on their brain, try to get their brain going? What is this? The whole chapter is calling people brain dead? How is about this? When I see some motherfucker walking around the street in their dazed, coma-like state, <laughs> I can harvest their organs. Half the people alive are brain dead. A head is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> With improvements in the stethoscopes and grains of medical knowledge, physicians began to trust themselves to be able to tell when a heart had stopped, and medical science came to agree with this way to be the best to determine a patient had checked out for good. Like I'm saying, I did a bunch of research. It's not just this book. The best one was Buried Alive. But that's like super X-rated. If you like this stuff, check it out. Chapter 6. Alternate Endings. So she's going out on my home turf. When a cow dies on a visit to the hospital, it does not go to a morgue. It goes to a walk-in refrigerator, such as one at the Colorado State University Veterinary Teaching Hospital in Fort Collins. Like most things in walk-in refrigerators, the bodies here are arranged to maximize space. Against one wall, sheeps are stacked like sandbags against a flood. Cows hang from ceiling hooks, affects the familiar side of the beef silhouette. A horse bisected mid-torso lies in halves on the floor. A vaudeville costume after the show, with no soul to be ushered onward. <laughs> so, horses don't have a soul! Horse girl from high school disagrees. No mourners to attend death's overseers. You know what she's saying? Cows don't have souls. One billion people in India disagree with this chapter. Could something useful be done with the remains? We're eating it, Mary. What are you talking about? I guess her point here is that farmers maximize dead cow parts. So that's what humans got to do. We're taking the organs... But what about the human meat? <laughs> Kevin McCobb, owner of McCabe Funeral Homes in Farmington Hills, Michigan, is one of the men who thinks that the answer is yes. One day soon, he plans to do to dead people what Colorado State University is doing to dead sheep and horses, the process called tissue digestion. In a few hours, Kyle and Weber's equipment can dissolve the tissue of a corpse and reduce it to 2 or 3% of his own body weight. What remains is a pile of decoagulated bones that can be crumbled between one's fingers. Ashes to ashes. Bust to bust. Good night, girl. I'll see you tomorrow. She questions the farmer. You know, if you're going to turn people into mulch, why don't you just fucking pressure cook them in a pot of Drano? This is some illegal shit, it sounds like. Tissue digestion relies on two key ingredients, water and alkali, better known as lye. 
<laughs> they're teaching you how to fucking dissolve a body. When you put lye into water, you create a pH environment that frees the hydrogen ion in water to break apart the proteins and fats. So if you don't have a pair of cement shoes, this is the best way to get rid of a body. Motherfucker's going in the bath. Well, when I'm not eating lone hikers, I put them in mini pools of decomposing sludge in my basement. <laughs> Bro, what they're getting at here is alkali. You can turn a human into a battery. I'm always looking for the positive takeaway here. But the real positive takeaway... The cure to cancer is keeping your body more alkali than acidic. All of this crap in the grocery store, it's acidic bullshit. This part of the show has been censored by Pfizer. They had another machine with a pretty badass name. Manning the Digester, a soft-voiced wildlife pathologist named Terry Spracker. Spracker wears rubber boots pulled over his pants and latex gloves. Both are streaked with blood, for he has been doing sheep necropsies. Despite what his job duties might suggest, this is a man who loves animals. Wow, so they're just putting, like, cows and sheep through wood chippers? And these guys are saying that's the future of humans. Great. She talked to this other backward guy who offered a service which would compost your remains. Huh. The hippies of Boulder would absolutely love this. After they die, all 30 of their roommates can plant a fucking petunia in their remains. This is a hippie's wet dream. Compost yourself. You ever see that one online where you could turn yourself into a tree? She said, Sweden is the leading nation in the human compost movement. Holy, did you hear that? Lois man-made whores beyond my comprehension. Holy crap! Bro, the people who are in control, they see us as nothing more than bags of fertilizer. Walking, breathing shit. As for the remains of the author, I will include a biographical note in my life for the students who dissect me. So they can look down at my dilapidated hole and say, Hey, check this. I got that woman who wrote a book about cadavers. And if there's any way I can arrange it, I'll make the thing wink. <laughs> Mary Roach, stiff. That was a fun one. Thank you guys, the Knickers, for joining. Let me know what you think. Harry shit for some free memes. Patreon.com slash the niche. Got a random episode coming up next week. A random soundboard effect to end this. There was a misinput, misinput. Calm down! You calm the fuck down! There was a misinput! That's the plastic surgeon when he messes up your face for the rest of your life. It was a misinput. There it is. Nick Munez signing off. Peace!